Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you are listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast, where we connect the dots for women's storytellers. Simply put, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And today I get to sit and chat with Christina Thomas. And I just felt like I could make a more of an empowerment statement using a video camera and letting people know what was going on out there through my own voice. Welcome, Christina. Hi, how are you doing? So I want to know, what would you want to tell someone about your journey as a filmmaker that they would be surprised to know? Um, that I didn't have it as easy as people thought. Mm-hmm. Um, that that a lot of people are more surprised that I'm not already in the field that I would like to be because of all the things that I have done and that a lot of the jobs that I've gotten, I've just literally, (laughs) I came from a time where you had all the emails Mm -hmm. and you had the phone numbers and I randomly just called them and see who would just like, let me do the job (laughs) or let me talk to them like for a couple of minutes. And people were like, it was that easy? I was like, yeah, kind of. They had to say yes or no. Right. So how did you, how did you feel about that? Because I know now because of social media, it makes, I don't want to say, well, yes, I'm going to say it. it makes people feel entitled sometimes. Like, because let's say I follow you, then people feel like, oh, I know you. So I can just be like, hey girl, so let me just get this job. Um, <laughs> yeah. how do you deal with that? Like, have you been confronted with that? Because you are, you know, you do have a certain status and it might not be where you desire to be as a filmmaker, but have you had to encounter that? And then do you have any tips for people like jumping in your DM? Well, I would say, first of all, I've had, I've actually mentored twice Mm -hmm. um, because I graduated from USC and we have, I was a scholarship recipient of the um, USC Alumni Black, um, the USC Black Alumni Scholarship. And I have three women um, who were in the program, the film program. And I stopped doing it because this generation, like I told them like what my background was at the time, I, I just became the script coordinator. I'm being Mary Jane. And I was like, anything I can do to help you all, just let me know. But just know I need you guys to like put your best foot forward and, you know, submit things and I submit it to you. Mm-hmm. And one of the young ladies, she just emailed me. She was like, oh, can you hook me up with Ava? Can you hook me up with Ryan Coogler? Can you do so-and-so with this person? <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know how to respond, <laughs> respond to that. <laughs> Why did I look like I was reading the email like, girl, dog? <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know if this is a, is a good thing. And I called the person who's the head of the, the mentorship program. She, she, I sent her the, the email. She was like, hold up, wait. She thought she could get all those things. And I was like, yeah, she did. I think a lot of people expect when you hit them up, they're going to give it to you automatically. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed, for me, I've had to show and prove. And as, many, and as you said, a lot of people are like, oh, but look at your resume. They, they're probably going to hire you just off, off of that. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not, it doesn't happen like that. A lot of times, my mouth... <laughs> My mouth in, in the sense of I can talk my way out of a lot of things or talk my way into things or just, I think it's just simply, I have a, a, I have a personality that some people 
are just like, oh, this is refreshing, or you're not asking anything of me, you're just inquiring first, and you want to just let me get to know you, and then hopefully, you know, if this comes out good, I can get you hired, or we just, we just can continue to talk. Right. Because um, one girl, she hit me up too on DMs, and I actually talked to her. I've, that's happened a couple of times. I've actually um, talked to people, and they said they know the same people as me. I was like, okay. So when you call them, mention my name, and then call me back. Mm-hmm. Until you do that, don't talk to me again. Because that's the first thing that I learned. Everybody's like, oh, I know so-and-so. I'm like, okay, call them. And they do not call them because they do not know them like that. Wow. I've been fortunate enough to, again, keep in touch with people and make sure that I am adamant about letting them know, like, hey, this is, this is what's going on with me. And sometimes even my mentors and my own life get on me because they're just like, so, so you just ain't going to update me on things? Oh, okay. So you just going, okay, all right. Um, what was the second part of the question? No, I mean, that was good. I was just going to say, so mm-hmm. what tips then do you have for somebody who is, because you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want a mentor and I want to be able to be a filmmaker. So do you have tips or just suggestions for people who may see, like run across your social media, like should they reach out in your DMs or should they put the effort to try to find your email address? What are just some suggestions you have to help people who may be not necessarily always young and just starting out in the industry, but maybe change their careers or, and are looking to get their foot in the door? Yeah, I think most of all, I'm always, if you come to me, at least already have a little bit of knowledge of what you want to do in your field. And if you don't, and that's why you're contacting me or whatever, that's the first thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably do is say, hey, you should read this. Oh, you should hit up my friend or you should hit up this person because they answered their, um, their messages on Instagram. Because mm-hmm. um, I know several times I've gotten jobs off of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I got a PA, a PA gig for two days. I know he probably hates me now. I'm not going to name him. But he, <laughs> he, got, he got me a job for two days off of just me. I, like I DM'd him and he didn't follow back with me. But then I saw him at the pancake house. <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you followed up with me. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep in touch with you. Here's my number. It just it really continuing to, to let the person know and stay updated about what you're doing. Because it's not just about saying like, oh, I want to be a writer and director. Mm-hmm. It, it's more so putting the work in because you have so many social media people that are just like doing it and they're just, they don't put a lot of work into it. With, mm-hmm. it, with production, you got to put work into it, especially being a writer and director. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many things I've done and I've failed a lot of them, but at least people can be like, well, at least you've done it. Mm-hmm. And she knows, she knows how to not do it <laughs> the next time. Right. But I think that's what I've always told people, especially when I mentored. Not, I didn't even want to mentor, but I was like, a lot of my friends were saying, you, you have a lot of knowledge to give and, and mm-hmm. people can understand where you're coming from. And I realized through mentoring, especially that I'm still learning myself and I learned from the people that I've mentored. Absolutely. So just to go back a little bit, um, I always like to ask people, 
when did filmmaking choose you? Because I know for women or just even, um, I like to say brown girls or minorities, <laughs> but I know that a lot of times we just weren't given that um, language to be a filmmaker or we didn't see it. So when did you know, like what was your defining moment that said, hey, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> it, sound, it was two things that I knew I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore was when I was, I was 16 mm -hmm. and I had to do a, not like a book report, but a report on someone. And at the time, Gordon Parks was still alive and he was coming to the Oakland Museum. And I actually never got to go because my mom would not give me a ride. I think I did something and I got, yeah, I got whooping at 16. <laughs> but I researched all of him and I found out not only was he a photographer, he was a director. And at that time, I was just like, I wanted to be more creative because I felt like I wasn't doing a lot um, as a junior lawyer in this program that I was in mm -hmm. called the Don P. McCullen Youth Attorney Program. And I just felt like I could make a more of an empowerment statement using a video camera and letting people know what was going on out there through my own voice. And I think the second time was when, I, as I mentioned earlier, trying to get a job. I was at Howard and I was in my production class, my first production class, and my teacher was like, you really want it. You'll do whatever it takes to get it. And I was watching MTV one day and I started, I started taking down the names of all the directors that I saw on all the music videos. Mm -hmm. And I looked online for all of these directors' contact information. And out of the 20 directors that I emailed, one person hit me back. His name was Ray K. This, like, Swedish, <laughs> Swedish music director. <laughs> and I hit him up, like, for a whole week. He, like, sent me treatments. He showed me how to do treatments. And then he was like, hey, well, if you're going to be in New York, you can PA on this um, music video that I'm doing for Mario. <laughs> oh, wow. I'd be like, okay. And I was like, yeah, uh -huh. never been in New York by myself <laughs> and ended up taking a, a Chinatown to Chinatown bus for $10 at 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> land, landed in New York at four o'clock in the morning, found this cheap ass hotel <laughs> I called the Hooker Hotel in Manhattan. I stayed there for the night, found my way through the, the address that he gave me. Again, the internet on the phone wasn't really realistic during that time. So right. really, I was struggling. And by the time I got to the shoot, he was like, oh my gosh, you made it, great. Okay, we're gonna put you over there. We're gonna give you a walkie. Learned all the things that you're not supposed to do as a PA. Um, it was a 24 hour shoot. Um, actually, that was the first time that I met Cassie. And uh, that's why I'm like, I know Cassie before Cassie with Diddy. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, I did, I did like an okay job and I ended up receiving a check. A month later they ended up paying me and I was like oh my god I just made like a million bucks oh my god. <laughs> and that's when I was like that was like, the second defining moment okay I can see that <laughs> <laughs> I know that, like those, those that's are it. moments <laughs> so okay you are in California currently and a lot of women who follow us or listen in on our podcast, everybody wants to go. I say, like, they feel like it's the Mecca. Like, I have to go to Hollywood. And you've been there 
for 10 years. How did you pivot there? Um, it, it was because of grad school. I can tell you that. I applied to 10 grad schools, didn't get in, in any of them, particularly NYU and USC. And I was actually living in San Francisco and I was going to the Academy of Art University, which was the worst experience of my life because I felt like I knew more than my teachers. Oh, wow. And my old counselor from college, from Howard, was like, why don't you just apply again to USC because they have a spring semester. And I applied, I applied again and I got in. And that was the only reason why I went to LA because I was still trying to figure out a way of how to make it in San Francisco. Um, we're just working at a barbecue place <laughs> and there was really no film in the Bay Area at that mm-hmm. time. Um, and I tell people, and, and just to add to that, I really say to people, you don't have to move to LA. You can make it where you are. Mm-hmm. It just is more so what type of thing do you want to do? Because that's all going to also sum up, sum up who's going to get in touch with you. Right. That makes sense. And I know that you are script coordinator. So Kim, for people who are not certain what that is, tell us what it is and then what your duties are. Um, a script coordinator is basically the one that knows the script front to back. Um, I do all the revisions. So if the showrunner or the whoever's writing the episode wants me to revise the script, they send me their changes. I make sure everything is in its place. The scenes, the numbers, the ag breaks, the day breaks. I'm basically the liaison for knowing which color script that we're on because there's a whole color system with mm-hmm. scripts. Um, and then I take, in some cases on different shows, I take care of helping the writer get paid. <laughs> doing their contracts, um, doing character payments. Every time the, uh, their character that, that they created is mentioned, I make sure to get log that in so they can get paid additionally to their um, script fee. Um, but basically helping out with the script and knowing the script back and forth. And sometimes I even help with um, making changes every now and again, depending on the show and the show owners, um, just depending on me and having, you know, like just kind of depending on me right so how did you get in the lane of script supervisor like how did that become one of you because you do wear many hats but how did that become one of the hats that you wear um it was by accident this guy i met through one of my friends um he was a writer's pa on uh blackish and my friend linked us together on an email and i literally I just got let go from my job and I told, I basically told him all that I was feeling, how I felt like I need to move back to Oakland. And he was like, and I was like basically crying on this email. And he told me, well, you know what, one day uh, I'll try to help you get a job because it seems like you're putting in a lot of hard work. Two months later, I hit him up again. He's like, yeah, I don't know of anything. I'm on the show, but um, just keep in touch with me. And then a few days later, he hit me up and he was like, hey, I just got staffed on a show. Do you, I, I got you two interviews on Blackish and this new edition gig. I missed the Blackish <laughs> interview, but at the new edition interview, come to find out, I knew the writer <laughs> of the new edition story because I met him at a, uh, a what is it, a book, book club, book library mm-hmm. seminar two years before. And I lost touch with him because I was trying to keep a job. And he was like, yeah, you were supposed to call me. 
And he ended up hiring me because he didn't like the other guy who interviewed. He was like, I can at least have a conversation with you on set every day. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know that I didn't know anything about the job, but I learned real quick how to do it from my friend who got me the job. So then how did you handle that? Because it's not like you were, and not to say you were on a major project. So yes, yeah. you learn quick, but did you ever feel like you were in over your head? Oh, hell yeah. The first, <laughs> it was like, it was a second week. And remember when I, I told you what a script coordinator does, they do colors. Right. And I didn't, a lot, we had changes every day. <laughs> So a lot of the changes, they didn't, they had, didn't have a different color every day. So a lot of the changes, I messed up and I didn't know until we were like three colors in. And the way that final draft is set up, once you change a color, you, you can't go back and make mm -hmm. the changes. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do was I had to find a file of three colors before and do all the changes again. And my boss didn't know, like, I took off lunch, I think, twice so I could redo everything before we had, like, new changes. Because he would act as everybody was like, oh, Christina, why are you sitting here alone? I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm looking at um, Comcast. Yeah. But I basically was <laughs> fucking up and I was trying to make sure to cover my tracks. And, um, yeah, I, again, I learned real quick how you cannot mess up as a script coordinator. Excuse yeah. my language. You know, you're fine. I mean, like. <laughs> I have been <laughs> the script supervisor on like uh, two, three projects and they were like all indie films. So I can only imagine <laughs> mm. how you were scrambling. Yeah, because they didn't have me put out the full script. They just had me show, put out the revision pages, which um, a lot of the times they don't, they don't make you do. Mm -hmm. But on but on this particular miniseries, they did, and I think that's what messed me up. And um, again, I learned real quick never to do that again. And to yeah, as a script coordinator, you have to be lenient and making sure you are tracking your own changes because writers can write things, and you're like, where where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And you have to already know how to how where that change was. So you have to be like a psychic script reader. <laughs> If, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, I'm just over here, like, I know you, like, I would have been like, nope, I can't talk to anybody right now. I have to fix this. And then you don't want to tell people you, like, are fixing your mistakes. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah, I just got to watch this show real quick. And literally <laughs> just typing. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, from there, what I know you've had a, quite a few uh, projects under your belt where you are the script coordinator. How did you put yourself in position to, because I know that you, if I'm not mistaken, worked on Greenleaf. Mm -hmm. And you are also working on an upcoming project, Lovecraft Country. I want to yeah. see it. I want to see it. Well, you have to tell everybody <laughs> what it's about for those who don't know what that's about. Uh, so Lovecraft Country is about a young man named Atticus who um, goes back to Chicago to find his father who has gone missing. And he meets up with his uncle who reads a letter from his, his father that states that he found some information about his mother, his deceased mother's family that, you know, has information that he needs to know about. So he goes on this trip with his uncle George and his friend Letty 
to find out this information of this place called Love Cross Country in Artem. And they end up going through white supremacy <laughs> KKK members. And on top of that, some unknown monsters that will come to find out is linked to this whole family situation. Yeah, I can't wait to see. <laughs> I was like, I really want to go and read the book. Yeah, again, the whole, I will tell you right now, probably probably the first season is going to take take part the whole book. So what you read in the book is what you're going to see with, you know, a little finessing from our talented ass writers. Right. Okay, so you're on that right now. So how are you preparing for working on this project? Um, <laughs> just taking it one day at a time. The writer's room just closed um, two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm literally working from a new office and kind of from home because everybody is in Chicago right now filming. Okay. And um, they, uh, yeah, it's, it's weird because the scope planners, we usually don't get to travel mm-hmm. unless it's in the same city as where the writers were. And um, that's the only thing, that's the downside of like scope coordinating is you just have to be prepared to be alone at times because mm-hmm. if, again, if it's not in the same city, then you're on your own and you just have to really be communi- communicative <laughs> with your showrunner and whoever is writing the episode to understand changes, especially. Um, so you can communicate that to the production team. Yeah. I mean, I would love, look, if I was you, I would love to travel. I'd be like, can't y'all just take me with y'all? <laughs> oh, please. I actually asked that. It, it was just for a few days, but they were like, no, it's not in the budget. And again, script coordinators is where we're not in the budget. The script supervisor gets, gets that above all. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, like if you just happen to find some in the budget, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. So, okay. Just to switch gears a little bit because like I said, you do wear many hats. Yeah. I have to see this uh, project that you did where it was a TV pilot in New Orleans that followed three people who were making a difference to build mm-hmm. after Katrina. Tell us a little bit about that and then what your role was in that. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. You dug deep, yo. I did. I look. I tell everybody, I'm such a research junkie, so I be all up in it. <laughs> yeah, that project, man, that was actually, that was when I was applying to USC a second time again. I saw this contest, and I was living in Harlem for the month with no job, and I had a, I had done two years, um, don't, let me start from the beginning. Um, that project came together when I spent my last two spring breaks um, in 2005, 2006, and I think it was 2007 as well, um, gutting out homes after Katrina hit. And I made a whole film about it, um, about Howard students. Howard students, we had the biggest amount of students to go down there um, and to help um, clean up and gut out homes, churches and whatnot after Katrina and we were black on top of that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we realized the first time that we went down there is we, a lot of the, the neighborhoods that they were sending us were the upper class neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And I got that all on camera. And at the time the president of Howard was like, oh, we want to show your film. And then when we get back, he either guess he found out what happened 
And he was like, yeah, we're not going to show it anymore after I edited seven hours oh, of wow. mini DV tapes. And I ended up just putting a trailer together because, you know, I met everybody on a trip because they saw me with a camera and they wanted to tell their story of how they were feeling on the trip. Mm-hmm. And I put it together and I put it online. And I saw a contest that MTV and Endemo Productions was putting together about send a trailer and pitch us a pilot. And I really wanted to pitch a pilot about young people um, helping to rebuild. And it doesn't, you don't need adults to really rebuild cities because we have these young people that are really passionate about helping their own community or the community that they feel impassioned to go live and, and build on. And that project, man, when I won it, <laughs> they told me I, I wasn't gonna win it. <laughs> and then Jesse Jackson walks in. <laughs> and tells me the news and I'm like crying and I just can't stop saying oh god oh god oh lord oh lord (laughs) and and Jesse Jackson had to be like you can stop saying that we can pray now (laughs) and then and then it was not until I got down there that I realized they wanted to really turn it into a reality series and they were making their own storyline behind that because I was the director Mm-hmm. But I didn't know they were trying to direct me behind closed doors and the three individuals who would want to be a part of the pilot. And I was thankful because half, well, basically almost all the clues from New Orleans, they knew I wasn't trying to make that story. They mm-hmm. knew I was trying to make a story about young people helping to rebuild New Orleans and helping to stop gentrification from coming in at that time. And of course, the pilot didn't get picked up <laughs> because of that. Right. Um, but it was a, a definite, definite learning experience um, because it let me know that I wasn't ready yet to direct, but I at least got the chance to do it. Right. And why do you think it let you know in that moment you weren't ready to direct? Because I got angry at the crew members and, to, and, and I thought it was all their fault for me getting into that situation of the quote unquote subjects that we had in the pilot not trusting me mm-hmm. when I didn't realize one of the producers was actually setting me up for scenes. <laughs> you know how those scenes in Love and Bat, what yeah. I love that. But it was like one of those scenes and I and of course I was 23 at the time. And I didn't I didn't realize that's how reality TV works. Yeah. The producers set you up. You can be the director but they're doing their own job. And I had I had a long sit down with my my editor who I I met in New Orleans who's now one of my really good friends who now is in LA and I know his wife and I'm about to see their kid next week. <laughs> um, that they, they really did believe in my project as well. Um, but I just couldn't trust anybody because I didn't know how to communicate that mm-hmm. and how to work with the crew. Cause I was just like, shouldn't they already get it in right. my young, in my young mind. Right. But do you think that it prepared you just for like working in the industry now that you are able to hold your own? Oh, hell yeah. Um, but it was hard in grad school because I learned, I learned that already before I got there because that pilot was shot a month before I started USC grad school. And you know, when you do the introductions and you're like, this is what I did, I can do this, blah, blah, blah. And I can help you out with your projects. When I said that, amongst a sea of 80% white guys in my class, they took it as my self-esteem was higher than theirs and that I didn't want to work with them (laughs) and that I was the bitch of the class. And 
it made things a little bit harder to um, maneuver because LA is a very different place. It's Hollywood and mm-hmm. being a black woman at that time when I went to USC and, and kind of even now, they don't understand us. They mm-hmm. don't understand that we're not promoting ourselves to make ourselves look better than you. Mm-hmm. It made me just want to show people like, I want to collaborate with you and I can do any position because I just want to build with you. But it wasn't taken like that. I had mm-hmm. to learn later on that you have to present yourself in another way, especially as a female, that you're like, a little bit smaller than them and it's not until you get the job you can show them like no I got more I got more on my my resume where I can show you some things Mm. that's just so crazy I know but I didn't I didn't learn that until one of my um my friends from grad school who who was white he's a white guy he told me that told me that like um like a year or two ago he told me you know, Christina, people were angry with you because they thought you knew too much. And I was like, wouldn't you want somebody on your team that knows a little bit more than you? Right. And that you can learn from? But it is a very egotistical and and slightly, um, yeah. <laughs> they do judge you on your color and what is between your legs. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, I hate to say that, but only a few people get that. And those are the people that I've been working with, and they've been great. (laughs) (laughs) Totally understand. So you are in Hollywood, and you are, you know, growing and experiencing. And I do want to go back because I want to talk to you about documentaries because I saw that, like, you love documentaries. makes me happy. Um, (laughs) But do you? what do you do then because you are – growing in the industry to help you I tell everybody help your mental health like make sure that you're cool and you're good because I also did a little bit more researching and I saw that at the end you said of 2017 you had like four gigs like you were out there hustling you was in these streets living the best life like (laughs) making it (laughs) making it happen so like how then do you take care of yourself so you don't burnout so you don't look and you're like okay I can't do what I'm created to do because I'm tired and that's what I had to stop doing because on the weekends I would work on side projects that would get me maybe a few hundred dollars or fifty dollars and I I just couldn't do it anymore because script coordinating as you may know it's a seven day a week 24 7 gig they can hit you at any time i was literally in south africa for new years and i was being called i was being emailed revisions and and i had to make the revisions i mean it was good for overtime mm-hmm. check, but i was overwhelmed and i think i will admit this because i know a lot of my my friends who are black women who don't have access to it but i am thankful that i do have access to it I do see a therapist um, every few weeks. Me and I, too. <laughs> yeah, and I and I hate that I have to see a therapist, but I have to get my sanity back because sometimes a job can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I know for one job that I will not name, hopefully one day when I get my Oscar, I can tell a story. Um, I created heavy anxiety and nervousness and depression because my boss at that time made me feel like I was shit. Mm. 
And, but he, my friend who actually got me the job, she was just like, but you know, you, you're one of the assistants that has lasted the longest with him since I left him. And it just was like, it went to show like, wow, I can survive somebody abusing me every single day, but do I want to have that job? Mm -hmm. And it actually led me to quit one of my jobs for another job because of that, because I just, (laughs) I could not, it was one person in the room who just made me feel like shit. And I just had to make that decision of just like, okay, if I don't want to be at this job anymore, what am I going to do? And I strategically (laughs) hit up all of my friends, all the assistant groups, all the assistant, um, you know, people that I knew looking for a job. And I ended up getting a job within a week after I interviewed. And I, I left my left that job and my boss was angry, but he knew, he knew why I was leaving. Um, and he respected me for that. Um, but it's at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself. And I'm, I'm still learning that day by day. Cause now I start my mornings with, with, I start my mornings with prayer. Um, and either working out four times a, a week and then meditation. Um, because it's man, <laughs> If I don't have any one of those three daily, I will go insane. Mm-hmm. And that's not including coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I mean, but I'm glad that you are, you know, taking time for yourself because it's just so easy to get caught up in the rat race. And it's so easy to forget about yourself. Yeah. And I've had a lot of, a lot of sit downs with my friends about that. And I think I win every single time <laughs> of yeah. telling like the worst stories that have happened to me at work. But I think it's, you know, that's why I became a mentor at one point in time, because I knew like, I've already been through that and I've been through it worse than you. And I can tell you, it's always going to come full circle. You're going to go, you always won't get through it. It's just how are you going to get through it? Yeah, that's sure. I agree. <laughs> So what are you working on right now? Because I know that you are the script coordinator on several different projects, but what is your, I call all my projects baby. Like what is your baby right now that you're focusing on for yourself? My baby is my feature script worth it right now. Um, it's been it's been a dance and semi-finalist for three different competitions and I'm like trying to get that finalist position <laughs> right now with it um and it's based on what happened to me I made it into a feature um because um what was it 2013 this guy that I had been on again off again for eight years I told him I was I was I was ready to go to New York for him I was I was prepared for all that flew to New York and then he was like, oh, yeah, I can't see you right now. Can you, like, hang out with one of your friends? And I hung out with my friends for two days straight waiting for him to come to me. And then by the time I had to leave, as I got on the train, he told me that I wasn't worth it. And then my phone clicked off. And that was the last thing I heard from him. And so I made a whole feature about it of just, like, dealing with that relationship and how we deal with male versus female friendships. I'm over here with an attitude for you, like, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, so that's my passion project. And that's why I'm just like, I'm really, I really love the script and I really love of 
I had I've had a table read for it and it yeah even when I heard it out loud I was like oh my god this is yeah this is it this is gonna be my ticket um so that that's what I'm really working on is making that into um, my first feature film that I direct and promoting the fuck out of it (laughs) (laughs) so when do you see it um going into production um by god's grace and um holiness um by early next year 2019 okay um because now i'm setting it in oakland because as you know now oakland has become the hot spot yeah and and everybody wanted to hate on me being from oakland and nobody wanted to film in oakland now it's like sorry to bother you come out and then blind spot and come out yeah which go see blind spot this weekend yeah, office PA, go go support it. I know it's not going to have any money go in my pocket, but just uh, go. Yes, we will go support it. We will go see it. <laughs> so, when um, as far as your funding, what are you doing to fund this project? Man, I've had so many meetings with random people that my friends have referred me to. <laughs> um, it's a lot of talking to my friends who are a lot of my friends who are lawyers know people with money. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't that shouldn't be a surprise. But it's a lot of talking to them, um, sending them drafts of the scripts, sending them my resume, sending them my reels, just sending my my reel to different people who my friends have suggested that they can give me money. And a, and a lot of it is just re- applying to these competitions and fellowships, um, which now I've gotten lucky so far because um, I've never gotten to a freaking semi-final, semi-finalist position, which I'm really happy about because it makes me know that I've been improving on my writing as well. That's really good. I um, I'm gonna make time. I'm just gonna make time near the end of the summer. I'm not even gonna lie. Say like now, <laughs> but that's what my my um masters is in screenwriting. So I want to ask you, fellow screenwriter, to another. What is your <laughs> creative process when you start writing a project? Um, I think it's motivation above all things what am I passionate about? What makes me want to write this story specifically? And I'll write notes here and there, just like scenes. Mm -hmm. I think I'm really great with writing scenes, but I'm terrible with at first writing a whole like breakdown outline. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. just like, but I like this scene so much. Why can't we just keep it? And then as I finally break it down, I'm like, Oh, that doesn't work. But maybe we can put it in there some way, but change it up a little bit. So mine is just doing scenes first fleshing out characters um and sometimes when I have dreams I'll just write down scenes that I come in my come in my head yeah so I would just like sometimes I just write down things and I'll come back to them because at least I know I'm continuing to keep my creative juices flowing yeah yeah I agree on that and how do you think that your voice has changed or if it hasn't um since you first started writing um I actually said this to my friend at lunch today I'm just being more honest with myself in the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it does not help sometimes a plot when I'm just like, no, I just want to save her. I just want to save my character. And then I have to realize, no, I just got a killer. I'm just <laughs> asking other characters. It's little things like that. No, that's true. I think that I will not say the show, but I just noticed that sometimes as writers, we become too attached to the character. Mm-hmm. instead of moving the story along and it annoys me because 
it's one of my shows that I really like. And I just want to be like, there are people that you should have killed. Like you're too emotionally connected to this character. And I feel like your story would move along so much better if you just let the person die. It's okay. Yeah. And I have to do that sometimes and make myself feel gooder, feel gooder about myself. Yeah, I said gooder. <laughs> and um, because when you get those 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 notes back, I'm just like, but you know what? I'm gonna be okay because the other show it got that whack ass lead with that other person who's subpar. So you know what? Whatever. You just gotta keep moving. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And then as far as a director. How has your skill developed since you first started in school? Are there things that you do to, um, you know, like help you? Or have you just grown by doing? I've grown by doing because I worked in the um, the production, well, the, um, what is it called? The, um, the equipment room. That was my first job in grad school was working in the equipment room along, was amongst a whole bunch of dudes, like, dudes dudes but it helped me learn how to use a camera how to use a c-stand all those different things that I, I knew how to use but now I was like helping people sign them out and also I worked on stages so on top of me being in the equipment room and having access to a camera <laughs> sorry Craig <laughs> uh, um, but I got to use a camera whenever I wanted and I was using stages where I, I used to do like two different music videos in short films because I had access to it and my bosses entrusted me to use the space and use the equipment to find out how to direct, how to use the equipment and how to find my voice within my directing. And it just helped me more confident to know that I'm a bomb ass director. <laughs> I know that's right. You, you better own that. <laughs> yeah so I think that's one of the things I, I gained more confidence because I saw my work improve and sometimes I kind of surprise myself especially with the the docuseries I did for this random ass LA group so yeah and for people who are listening that want to be a director or yeah let's go a director first and they don't know how to use a camera do you think it's beneficial for them to learn that first or do you think that you can direct without knowing how to use the camera um i was about to say something mean (laughs) (laughs) girl i work with too many people oh lord um i would say you need to learn the camera first you can't depend on your cinematographer they, yeah, they know everything, but you want to have your own mind and you want to know where the placement of the character should be because you should already be, because you're a cinematographer, that's the conversations you're going to be having is where are you going to place the camera? What does it look like? You're the director. You direct the, where the sun is going or what the look is going to be. Mm-hmm. And if everything is going to be in black and white, then uh, how dark is your character? How white is your character? Mm-hmm. You, you need to know how the camera the camera lens and the different lenses that you use hit your characters. It's very essential. And it's helped me a lot, especially because when I, when I studied about Gordon Parks, I started as a photographer and that's where I truly like knew about capturing images. Mm. I think that's good advice. And then do you suggest like 
do you have a suggestion for what kind of camera a person should get who's on a budget? Like, hey, girl, I'm on a budget, but I want to work on my craft. I'd say iPhone. Just, just use a gosh dang iPhone. They've done so many great things now with the, the use of your phone that it makes it easier for people to capture things. Um, but me, myself, I have a Canon 7D, and I use it every now and again to shoot things or just practice, you know, what looks good to me and what helps me to tell a story and what is my signature uh, move also. Cause you know, all, almost every director has their move. Spike Lee has their <laughs> person sitting in the chair while the camera moves through the crowd. Mm-hmm. And you have those other directors where they have always like a close up on, oh, on a, Quentin Tarantino, he always has shots of a woman's foot or somebody's foot cause he's obsessed with feet. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the one thing I'm still working on is finding my signature move. I feel you. Me too. I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, and I think that all comes with, you know, learning what your camera is. Yeah. Because you can mess up how many times you want to. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. You over here here trying to save lives today. (laughs) (laughs) I try. I try. (laughs) Okay, so... Let us know what you are watching and what you are reading. Um, I can tell you right off the bat, I'm still reading Native Son. It's a lot, but oof, it's oof, it's so good. And I never got to read it while I was at Howard. And I know so many people are gonna listen to this and be like, Christina, how dare you? Well, but, guess what? I'm right along with her. It's on my list, and I just haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's so good. Um, and then when I'm watching No Judgments, I'm watching Marlon because I need some funniness. <laughs> and I'm watching The Bold Type, which is also a really good show. If you ever want to know what, what it's like to be an assistant and be a female, oh, hell yeah, that is a show. And this second season is really getting to me because I've gone through a few of those things that the, the girls have gone through as an assistant. Um, and of course, Glow, I'm finishing Glow. Um, cause I'm a dodge, I play dodgeball. So glow is like the closest thing for me seeing a girl athlete on a show and then kicking ass. Okay. So now I'm gonna have to watch glow. I'm gonna have to watch that <laughs> one. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that. Okay. <laughs> so do you have any final like words or tips that you want to give the ladies that are listening? <laughs> I would say to to never give up I know that's so cliche but (laughs) that's the thing I I've always said but I've also I always put up bible quotes my mom is adamant about me always keeping some in the office if I don't put my holy water down Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I have one on my desk now that says uh grace is the unmerited undeserved unearned kindness favor of God and I've just been learning how to about grace um in this new job of just making sure that I remain in the confidence that good things are coming, but I have to be reminded to take care of myself, as you were saying, and to help others other than myself. It's not just about me, even in this position, it's about others. So do the best that you can to help others and good things will follow behind that. Yes. I co-sign that. I like that. I do. That's good. Thank you. And 
Let us know how we can keep in touch with you, social media, website, and how we can support you. Um, you can support me by giving me all the money for this film. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, I am, I'm usually on Instagram. That's where you can find me. Um, and it's introduce X Tina um, on Instagram. And my website is on there as well. It's a Tumblr page because um, I'm cheap. <laughs> Mm -mm, I feel you. <laughs> but usually anybody can find me that way because it has all my information and how to get in contact with me and to slide in my DMs for questions and concerns as well. But that's how you can support me. Okay. So everyone, thank you for listening. And you know the drill. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go live those filmmaking dreams. Make sure you subscribe. You leave us comments. If you have questions, for anybody on our show so far, let us know. If you have a question for her, let me know and I'll shoot it to her. And until next time, take care.